Winnipeg podcast where we talk to top performing business owners, leaders, executives, entrepreneurs, and local Winnipeg celebrities. We get to learn who they are, how they think, their stories, and we get to hear their perspectives on what's really going on in Winnipeg and their businesses. Today I have John Simcoe. Uh, John Simcoe is a Winnipeg native that saw a path to success through real estate investing. John's primary focus is rent-to-own deals where he has taken the industry by storm. John has won an incredible amount of industry awards from Newcomer Investor of the Year to Most Capital Raised, including two rent-to-own All-Star Awards. Uh, John was also the president of the Canadian Association of Rent-to-Own Professionals. Now, I know there's a lot more I could tell you about him, but I'm just going to let you or him tell you the rest, really. Uh, I appreciate you being here. Yeah, thanks, Dan. Thanks for having me. Now, uh, I know we got to spend the other night kind of talking and getting to know each other, um, but I feel we kind of just scratched the surface. Like, there's there's so much that, that has to go in uh, to creating a business like you have um, that is, you know, is this something I, w- I want to find out is intentional? You know, what's 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 actually just intrinsically driving you, stuff like that. So um, I guess the first thing is uh, diving a little deeper into, in your words, kind of telling. Well, there's, there's, always, uh, there's always a lot of work that goes into everything that not everyone sees. You know, it's that, that analogy of that iceberg floating by and there's all that work. You know, because the iceberg is much bigger than just what you see on the surface. So there's a lot of, you know, uh, a friend of ours, we used to always go around saying respect the grind all the time. Respect the grind. And or he'd say the grind includes Friday or the grind includes Sunday. <laughs> you know, you'd go around saying these things. But it it's true. Like, you know, so a lot of people would say, what's your secret to some of the success? And a lot of it's just in the early days, it was outworking someone else. It was when... When I had a regular job, like 40 hour a week type of job, it was like spending time in the evenings growing a side business. Yeah. Spending time on the weekends working a second job. What was that job again? Your, your um, first kind so, of regular job? It's like a first regular job. I did, uh, I did a lot of plumbing. So I started out on, as a weekend on call guy for Roto Rooter here in Winnipeg. Oh, right. We had the, the office was on Wellington Crescent. And I remember because I grew up in Oak Bank, so I was like a country boy. And I started this job, I was like 16, had my driver's license, got a plumbing van and went to do house house calls and had this pager because it was back in the late 90s. So good. So <laughs> I would get, get pages while I was in high school and have to excuse myself from class to go respond to my plumbing customers at the time. And so that eventually evolved into like working for the city of Winnipeg's water department, water and waste department. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then when I worked for the city of Winnipeg, I also was a student studying uh, architecture at the, and the, in the faculty of architecture at the University of Manitoba. And in the evenings, I grew my Taekwondo club. And I had that with a friend of mine and we grew that for five straight years. And our business doubled in size year over year for five straight years as well. So we had unbelievable growth but it was just something that was like because we enjoyed doing it it wasn't necessarily an endeavor to make as much money as possible it was about delivering a fair service with that was good value to the client um, I definitely looking back on it know that we could have charged more and would have still 
had the same level of popularity and same number of clients because we sold out every year. We Every time we just had to make more square footage available, more teachers available, more uh, class times available, and they always sold out. So mm -hmm. every time we offered it, it sold out. Um, and it was funny because someone said to me, well, are you going to go do go be an architect and get your undergraduate. And I was looking at a couple of different places here in Winnipeg that were poised to hire me uh, as a fresh grad. And I remember finding out how much those people made in terms of money. And I thought, I'm already making more, like just as <laughs> much or more right? in my, with my hobby business, my Taekwondo club in the evenings, yeah. it's making just as much as if I actually had this degree and actually went to go work in the field. Yeah. And it was this aha moment. Uh, at that, that like you could achieve more uh, doing less because that was just a, a, a couple hours in the evening. Mm -hmm. you know, two hours of teaching, time to open the club, time to clean it up and close the club. Yeah. You know? So how in your early little job, like your first jobs, how did you know, how did you go from one to there? How did you, how, when did you know that Roto Rooter was done to go to water and waste yeah. to from water and waste to the uh, Taekwondo at the same time, but then going full time with Taekwondo. Was there like, was that intentional? Was it just like in the flow? Was it for money? So, uh, it was always like work a lot, like, uh, spare time was always spent working doing farm work in between all of that, even while at Roto Rooter, even while having the Taekwondo club. If I had time on the weekends, I'd go throw hay bales and you know, it's not a, it's not, it's not a, it's not a cheap program to go through. And I also prided myself on having a fairly nice automobile at the time. Nothing brand new, but a nice sports car with a nice paint job and a nice set of rims goes a long way to, to looking good and feeling good. You know, you don't have to spend a lot of money to accomplish that, but it was like something I always wanted instead of having a, a piece of junk car, right? Yeah. So when what like one of the biggest things that intrigued me is really how passionate you are. It seems in business, um, but really anything that's kind of that you hold dear. So how you showed up in your like Taekwondo club, you went all in your real estate, you went all in uh, cars, you go all in. Has this have you always been like this all all in kind of mentality? Very much so. There's no, there's no reason to do something halfway. You're either, you're either doing it or you're not. Um, you know, I, I also have like coaches and mentors and stuff too. And one of them just remarked to me in the last week, they said, John, uh, you're either an on switch or an off switch. Where's the dimmer? Where's the, the in-between point, <laughs> right? And, and I guess that's just really what, if I believe in something, I'm going to go all in on it. Right. And what does that look like? What, what does it look like to be all in versus not for you? Well, not, not is like just saying no, moving on to something else. Saying no is a perfectly acceptable thing, which is uh, something I've learned in the last four or five years is to actually say no to a lot of things because right. they, can, they can waste your time, take up a lot of your time. And you can't feel bad about something you said no to, even if it like became successful later on or maybe a colleague of mine or a friend when spearheaded the company or, you know, took charge in some other way. And I said, no, I don't want to do that. Yeah. And then they're so very successful at it. I applaud their success. I go, wow, you know, that really worked out good for him. Yeah. So I don't mind. There's, I guess it comes down to an abundance mentality. And so 
when you find something, if it can work with your core values, then, then like it's okay to consider it and look at it. Uh, if it doesn't, or it's just not really going to help your main mission out, then, mm -hmm. then you need to just say no. Even if it, even if it's perfectly good, it's about not getting distracted by those shiny objects out there. Right. Yeah. yeah. That you makes know? sense. And uh, did you always know that you were going to be a business owner? Did you currently you're, so you're, you're, you're a one man show right now and have been for a long time and you have done more real estate deals than not only people but investors more deals than most investors will do you've done in one year than most investors will do in their life yeah so how has did you always know you're going to be a business owner did that kind of i don't know what it was i guess i was probably some young kid in the 80s and probably saw on TV some guy show up to a big office building with a suit and a tie on and he showed up in a red Ferrari, probably like a 308 or something like the, the mag or a Magnum PI style, maybe a Testarossa from the day. Uh, but, it, but I remember just like seeing that and being like, well, I could be a businessman. It wasn't about the suit and tie for me, but I saw like that red Ferrari and he like, not only that, but like he was treated like a man of importance as well. And then like, and I don't remember what else happens in that, that flashback, but there was this well-dressed business owner and it suddenly became like, wait, you mean I don't need to have a job necessarily? I mean, I could, I could own something and be the business owner. Mm -hmm. I could own a property and be a landlord and charge rent and have an income mm -hmm. from it. I could sell something other than my labor or sell a service. Right. Like even, even the concept, like nobody really taught me to hire employees to teach Taekwondo lessons while I'm charging the customer retail price and I'm paying someone who got their black belt who used to pay me to take lessons. Now I'm paying them and they're going, this is phenomenal that I can do something I love and get paid a little bit. And I go, and I'm going, well, I'm in university. I'm not even there at the club on some of the evenings. I would teach Tuesdays and Thursdays yep. and the rest of the week, they would do, they would take care of everything yeah. and I'd make $200 a night, whether I was there or not. And I thought, geez, this is pretty good. And, and it just, it was just something that kind of happened. Yeah. I was scared to open the club at the very beginning, to be honest, I was very nervous. Yeah. I didn't know how it would go. Yeah. It kind of seems like that was just for, for you. It kind of seems like that is the, the common sense route as far as, you know, opening a business and then just hiring someone to take over some of your stuff and then grow as you go like that's that's not intrinsic to a lot of people right and that's why it's so it's so cool i only had so much time of my own i realized that i became specialized and i started looking at okay if i wanted to expand and have more nights of the week mm -hmm. There's definitely like I'm getting phone calls from people from all this neighboring areas, all wanting to put their kids in. We're sold out. We like we cannot fit to capacity more kids in this room. <laughs> and we had a lot of adult students too. Like we had a whole mix and it's a lot of families as well, uh, like father and couple daughters that would take it. And you know, which is always like uh, it's like it's really good for like yeah. good for bonding too. Even fathers and sons as well yeah. uh, and mothers. I had a whole. A whole entire family unit uh the patrick's and so yeah they were like always very like dedicated and into it so it helps when like the people you're serving 
also really enjoy themselves with what you're providing them. Yeah. Like seeing some of the lessons that those kids would learn and then running into them as an adult or seeing them later on. A few of them I've met up with in the last few years where there's been almost no contact for like more than a decade. They're adults, they've got grown up jobs now and it's like, hey, what are you up to? And it's like nice to see that some of them are still very polite and well-mannered like people like they were when they were in the club. Right. Well, Taekwondo, I mean, that's a phenomenal, uh, not only physical foundation, but character wise and you know all, a lot of the lessons that you teach in taekwondo <laughs> apply to life apply to business apply to everything it comes to that like never give up perseverance and there's always a way my father always uh imbued us with like the thought that like he like almost forbade the word no he's like you know like that's not possible and he would like immediately correct us mm -hmm. there is another way find another way to do it. Mm -hmm. So when there's a lot of no's in front of you, you just have to keep trying it. You know, it's like the, the guy who invited the light bulb tried a whole bunch of times before he actually figured out how to make the light bulb. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes you're going to get some no's and you have to go out and ask good questions. And, you know, I like to pretend I put on imaginary like PI hat and I'm this investigator and I got to find these things out. And uh, and when there's a no, that's like oftentimes if you get a lot of no's when you're trying to do something, even real estate wise, your lawyer, your bank financing or or uh, your lenders, your investors, any of any component on your team could all of a sudden say that's not possible or we don't do things that way uh, or just no. <laughs> and then it's like, well, then you have to counter it with good questions, do your research and find out how to get a yes, how to find another way to do it. Yeah. And through doing some of that, we've been able to like figure out how to do some things that, that I just don't see other real estate investors really doing. You know, when you learn some of the rules and the do's and don'ts, there's a lot of like, uh, a lot of people are a little bit like stuck inside a box that there's only a certain way to do something. Right. So if I could like, as just a little aside as a lesson, so how do you trap an elephant, Dan? How do you trap an elephant? Yeah. Well, you'd probably have to bait him first, right? Bring him in. And then you need a pretty, pretty big trap. Okay. Well, what if you had a baby elephant? And while you had that baby elephant, you tied a string to one of its legs and you put a post in the ground. And now this baby elephant tries and it's young, it's learning its territory, it's learning its boundaries. It gets to the end of the rope and it pulls on it and it can't get out. Mm -hmm. So what happens is, is that elephant ends up, it, it grows up. Right. And now it's like a full adult elephant with all the power that an adult elephant has. Mm -hmm. And yet they can put that little rope and they don't even need to anchor it very strong in the ground because the elephant can feel that the rope is on it, it is now, it will not try to pull to go past its boundaries. It's learned them at a young age. Right. And so people get stuck in these boxes where they think it can only be done one way. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden you like, I come in around the corner from somewhere that nobody's expecting. And now yeah, there is ways to do this. There's ways to still accomplish this. Uh, if you still want to go ahead with it, of mm -hmm. course, but you know, there's 
a lot of creative ways to getting yeses and pushing projects or even just your goals ahead and moving things forward when when other people will just stop right and so that's the difference of that perseverance never give up and and keep trying different ways mm-hmm. it's, a bit, it's a bit of a perspective shift there right looking at it from a different angle um how do you think that the perspective on even looking at business or what a business is because you were looking early on at landlording as even a business or Mm -hmm. you know running something for yourself and hiring someone not necessarily well you did have a bricks and mortar but even without a bricks and mortar this is business how do you think the perspective and the landscape of what constitutes a business has changed in in our life and not only now right I think there's a lot of ways that uh, there is brick and mortar businesses and there is like a purpose for them. But with a lot of the way that business is evolving, you can have a business which has very little like visible assets, like things you can touch and hold. A lot of things are done digitally. A lot of IP. Exactly. Like I always thought um, like, so we have like, you know, Uber, I'm not like super familiar. I don't use the service. It's never been available in my areas where I've lived. But you know, we have like Uber that controls like cars. Mm-hmm. They don't own any cars. People volunteer. They sign up that own a car already. And now they can become an Uber driver. Yeah. They can earn a bit of income. But for the business Uber itself is they own no cars. They maintain no cars. But yet they get a piece of that ride. Right. And so I kind of used to think of like rent to own real estate being like a similar thing because you can have it as a tangible it can be a brick and mortar business when there's like a buy and hold and you have a renter in there for 20 years and that's the place it's it's kind of like a brick and mortar because they're renting that space Mm -hmm. yet at the same time if we do a rent to own we can actually control everything with contracts we don't even need to own anything and we can be selling things that we don't even own for more money and making an actual profit. And at the same time, so we can control everything, own nothing, still profit from it, and and at the same time deliver a valuable service to the end user who's actually thrilled and happy to be achieving home ownership through the form of that. Yeah. You've been really successful with, with rent-to-owns. And there's a lot of people that that see different, like there's tons of strategies in real estate, right? Uh, I know a lot of people, including myself, have looked into rent to own. Why have you found such success in rent to own versus anything else? So there's a few key things, like one is going all out. So I definitely went very all out in terms of rent to own, Uh, doing a lot less of it these days, but for a good over a decade, almost 15 years, Uh, And I still have like videos available on my YouTube channel that we used to use, but it was by, by being first and foremost, an educator, Mm -hmm. because whatever subject it might be, if you're building a home, we look at you to be the expert builder, to know about product knowledge, to know how things get fit together. Um, Is that like tour it off in the corner, a good idea or not, you might be a good guy to say, 
that's not really possible or it's going to cost you a lot of money if you really it's want it. Right? Yeah, anything's possible, <laughs> but it's going to cost you. And so taking like, uh, taking like a business approach to it and being able to, to help people out and be an educator first. Mm. So whether it's a lender or a property seller or someone who's going to hold on to the property for a couple of years while we put the buyer through our rent home program, help them buy the house. It's educating that seller. How does this work? Mm-hmm. What are good practices and not good practices? I'm not the only rent own company out there. Maybe another one goes there and, you know, and they say th- some things differently. Well, there's like, there's best practices that, over many years of doing this that I would stick to and there's certain practices that I would never never advise anyone go towards you know it's usually in the fine print in the contracts Uh, but I've seen like I've been called in to clean up rent to own deals too and usually it's like the fact that there's a lack of education to the property seller a lack of education to the property buyer and even the company putting it together has a lack of education (laughs) you know if they there's traditionally three major styles of rent-to-own deals, and if at least the company can't at least educate you on the three styles, they might have one that they prefer to do out of them all. Mm-hmm. But if they don't at least know that there's a few different styles out there, then then they they're a one-trick pony. They only need to do it one way. If the market shifts a little bit or changes, that's when you have to change the strategies that you're using, and you have to adapt quickly. Um, and if you don't do that, then they won't be in business very long. Right. Do you think, do you think it's, um, now real estate has a history of, of some shady stuff going on, right? Because there's shady people in the world. Um, do you think that a lot of this is due to a lack of education or do you think that it is simply because of who the people are? I mean, you mentioned values before Now, how much. How much have you found that that's well, played into? Well, there can be like a couple of different things because you hear about all kinds of different stuff. And, mm-hmm. and I think we've know, all been having, seen it. Having uh, like uh, the uh, highest level of ethics and integrity needs to be there. Um, I've had landlords approach me who have like a tired rental property. They want it sold. You know, usually our buyers are taking on all the maintenance when they buy a place. Mm-hmm. Often one of those properties can have a lot of deferred maintenance if the landlord hasn't been reinvesting into the upkeep of the home over years. That's a nice way to put it, hey? Deferred maintenance. And so then, you know, and basically what they're asking to do is set a buyer up. You know, now it's one thing if the guy has a little bit of handy skills and like, okay, you know, he's going to fix a couple small stuff or a little leaky pipe isn't going to be the end of the world. But I've like seen cases where someone's like gone into a home I've seen a case where a landlord had a rental property that the tenant caught fire to it. And there was like a couple hundred thousand dollar insurance rebuild on the top half of this house. There was a basement suite and an upstairs suite. Now everything got painted all nice. Everything looked real good. And that guy came to me. He came to me over like several times over many years. And finally he's like, John, insurance is like, and I wouldn't take on his uh, project, but finally he said, John, we've got, uh, he said, John, uh, insurance has made my house look nice. I need you to like sell it for me. And he more or less was living in another country. Hmm. So like rent owned, he doesn't have to do maintenance on the house. Sounds like a good idea. I put a buyer in there, 
told the buyer, you know, you should probably get a home inspection. The buyer said, oh no, there's been all this work done to it. Of course it's like, it's new, it's like a new home with mm-hmm. like about an 11 or 12 year old foundation the on it. The paint looks new. It looks really yeah. Yeah. gorgeous. Oh yeah, they had these wild bright colors and uh, that seems to attract a lot of like Newfoundland families. So I had an East Coast mm-hmm. family that was saw these bright colors. The kitchen looked great. The walls looked great. They were sold. Yeah. And uh, and you're in Fort McMurray. And that was in, yeah. I was in Fort McMurray at the time, Fort yeah. McMurray House. Yeah. And at the time, you know, that house had it was like nothing but a lemon. There was like, why is the electrical outlet for the washing dryer? Why is it located where it's located? Like everything needed to be like thought out a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Everything was slapped together. The builder who did all the work to it didn't want to own up to almost like, well, that's not in our contract to do that. That's not in the contract. And maybe he's right, maybe he's not. But there was like nothing but lemon problems with this house to the point where the buyer just said, I can't be fixing this all the time. Right. I spend good money every month on the house and understand maintenance is, is a bit of his responsibility. But there's a lot of stuff coming up. And right. I mean, ultimately, he walked away from his deposit, left the house behind. because he. too much. Well, I think we fixed most of the lemon problems by the time he walked away, to be honest. But in his mind, there's this house, there's a problem with this house. Right. Because there was a few things. So problems can be fixed, but yeah. you know, it, I didn't do a very good job of setting him up for success. But at the same time, I did tell him to get a building inspection. Right. Right. And then, like, I'm sure you've seen like being called into a place that has beautiful finishing, but yet there's problems with it underneath, oh, yes. underneath the surface. Oh yes. Yeah. Uh, I was, I was one of the things that really hit me is I was listening to someone, they were asked to give a, a talk about business ethics. And he said, there is no bis- business <laughs> ethics. There's only ethics, right? There's no difference between <laughs> Good. your personal ethics and your business ethics, how you, how you operate in your daily life, how you do things one way is how you do everything. Oh, absolutely. Right. And, and we've seen that in, in real estate, no matter how much. I see that too. If, uh, if he cheats on his wife, he's going to cheat on his business partners. Right. You know, if he's married and hitting on the waitress and there, that's a sign of a problem. Right. That's like maybe a guy you don't want to get into business with. Right. You know, just simply because of the ethic might be a great opportunity. He might have the greatest new invention since sliced bread Mm -hmm. or whatever the case may be. Whatever's going on is like, you need to deal with someone like that. It's probably not a good idea. Right. And that's, and that's partnering, right? Yeah. Whether you're partnering with someone, whether you have an investor. His uh, wife is his partner. And if he's not treating her very good then what's he going to be like to a partner, part, like a business partner? That he's not married to. That he's not married to. He's probably going to be right. even worse. Right. You'd, you'd like, at least like to think you'd treat the wife as like number one. Yeah. But, uh, but still, how you do one thing is how you do everything. So yeah. cheat on one person, you'll cheat on another person. Yeah. Uh, rob from one person, rob from another. We, I would always go around and pre-qualify a lot of my joint venture partners by playing the cash flow 101 board game. So have you, have you played that game? I have it downstairs. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And, uh, and I used to hold, host a once a month uh, meetup group for like about 10 years. We would go, so to, go to the college. We have 
three, four, five games on the go, maybe six if it's kind of a, a lot of people showed up mm-hmm. and, you know, four to six people per game board. Yeah. Uh, and so I, everyone would play and I would host these. We would make up our own rules. I would be the government and change it, borrowing rates and suddenly deals that didn't look so good. People were doing because the rates were good. And yeah. And I would change the rates on them again. And then now their deals that they got into are... You know, make just to make people think a little more than even just what a normal game plays like. Yeah, and deep, it's thinking outside the box yeah. of the game. Yeah, and so a good way to like filter some of these people is to watch how they play. Mm-hmm. So I used that room to get to know people better. I did almost no selling in those rooms. In fact, like uh, the reason the college would let me put that on and teach was because we weren't actually there selling products and things. So it's like. Yeah. bonus it was like cheap it like the the price to rent the room goes from like fifty dollars a night to like two hundred and something dollars an hour right if you're selling stuff in the room oh, yeah. so like as soon as there's a big no no we're just teaching we're just here to have fun yeah and so i never like did a big push to sell my courses or other things like that in the room people knew i had them and it was great to be the host of that mm-hmm. And I would notice, and I would take people out for coffees afterwards, get to know them a bit better. And if I wanted to, I would put a real estate deal in front of them if it was something I thought that would benefit them. Mm -hmm. Uh, And if I thought they were the right fit for it. And so I did a lot of prospecting in those rooms. And I would watch as people played the game. And for those who don't know, it's like Monopoly on steroids. And you can buy stocks, you can buy real estates, you can grow businesses. You can start something in your part-time in your garage and suddenly it's earning you enough of an income you can quit your job. Right. And so everyone's goal is to make enough investments so that their investment income is greater than their expenses. And when that occurs, they can quit their job and you know leave the rat race behind them and go into the world of being a business owner and an investor. So mm-hmm. changing which, which of the ESBI side of the quadrant they're on by making that shift. And while people are playing that game and they're going around the rat race, their behaviors in the game mirror their money beliefs. And so a person who's playing that game who has hidden away $5,000 in underneath something, you know, underneath a card, underneath the game board, Mm -hmm. something, that's their rainy day fund. They play through the whole game Knowing in the back of their mind, they got this $5,000 that if times are tough, they can always use. Right. Uh, most of the time they go through the whole game, they never use that. So what that tells me is if I sit down and put uh, a project in front of them that's going to require some money, they and they want to hold back, oh, I only have $10,000. Yeah. Well, I know from their behavior in the game that they have something else tucked away. Right. That might be more substantial than just, you know, the $5,000 in the game. Yeah. So the chance to like upgrade them or sell them into more of the project exists. That's a huge, like cash flow is, is a huge education. Uh, it's turned education into a game, right? And, and gamifying things is a, is a phenomenal way to teach. Um, have you, what are some of the, have there ever been any monster light bulb moments as far as learning something for you or for someone else that you've seen that have just been like the biggest push for you? Whenever everything can all of a sudden kind of 
kind of click. And oftentimes I would get a lot of aha moments by going to a lot of different seminars and taking a lot of different courses. And I like your brain fires in different ways. You see a new way to do something, a new concept opens up. And so I would start hanging around other people who had more experience than me, Mm -hmm. who had like, I have a, a group of, uh, we always call them the Bear Lake crew. Uh, it's like 100 to 170 people or so that get together and just have a good time and go on the lake and, and make good friendships. And uh, and ultimately, these are some pretty prominent business owners, but we would always get together just for fun. Yeah. And it became this, we had a group code of ethics within the group uh, that we all sat down and formalized. Like oh, really? So yeah, we made this whole crew yeah. And uh, and about a third of my lenders come from that, from just being a part of that group. Mm. And I, I'm starting to put a bit of age on me now. But at the time, you know, I was only one of the only guys in his 20s. There's like one other guy younger than me in this crew. Mm-hmm. Everyone else is 60, 70 plus at this point in time. Yeah, I'm, you know, and so being like one of those young guys, and you know, you go there, you have fun. And it's not a time to be like getting crazy drunk and partying. Yeah, there'll be a bit of that going on. Everyone will have a bit of a laugh, but it's better to like sit around the fire and ask them questions about what their year has been like since the last time the, you know, a gathering took place or, yeah. and, and just hear, because when people are open and honest, like from there, we can hear about the wildly successful mechanic shop that's, or a trucking shop that one guy owns and what it's allowed him to do and the lessons he's learned. Right. All of a sudden, you find out a business partner's like son's been stealing, and it's like, what did you do to deal with that? You know, he had a gambling problem. Okay, he always thought he could put it back. Okay, well, you know, how did you handle that? And then, then if I'm going through something in my business life, then I know that I can like consult a guy like that who is willing to be open and vulnerable to the group. Yeah. With but yet not, uh, not like go around spreading details like who the person is. Uh, what the business is like the true nature of it because there's like a degree of like privacy because they've like everyone in the group allows themselves to be vulnerable but yet nothing really leaves no no those those privy details don't really leave so it's really nice to have a super experienced group of people like that who is a who's a good crowd to like lean on a little bit mm-hmm. as 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 men we don't often one reach out but two i find that you know in, in compared to women we don't generally call many friends you know just to talk about things to share stories ask for advice stuff like that um, and then you add a business owner or an entrepreneur on top of that which in itself is a lonely thing right like we're, we're generally so focused on our work and building the company and the stresses that go along with that. Um, those kind of groups are, I mean, they're invaluable. And right? where you can get your support from. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'm completely guilty of like working too hard at times. Uh, a huge thing is like perseverance and spending those extra hours and time on a halt. Ho- like what's a holiday? I don't, that come up on the calendar and everyone's like, oh, they got the day off work. I'm, like, I'm not used to, I don't. Well, things don't stop just because. Yeah, they never, they never stopped before. All, yeah. all of a sudden I'm like learning about these different labor days and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Going, oh, well, I just 
plugged on through or if I had a job at the time and was employed and had the day off, it was still spent working on the side hustle. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, with the one day of like actually playing that cash flow game in real life and quitting that job and getting that passive income greater than your expenses. Yeah. There's no better way to learn about holidays than when you have employees. Because you learn about them really quick. They all want the time. What off. do you mean you're not coming in on Monday? They're like, Dad, it's Christmas. <laughs> it's oh, Christmas. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. Uh, okay, yeah. No, I guess you can have that day off. Well, even like, even when I did City of Winnipeg water department work, water and waste, um, you know, a little bit of time as garbage man, a little bit of time repairing water mains and doing awesome doing work like that on the outside of buildings, digging holes, jumping in the hole, fixing the pipe. Yeah. Well, it's gushing out water. Like that's yeah. the more exciting side of it, but yeah. it could be as simple as painting a fire hydrant, you know, like the, right. the tasks of the water department are quite, there's a huge variety between them, mm -hmm. but those guys don't like, they don't get a holiday off. Emergent water, water's they're, 24 seven. They're considered an emergency service. Yep. You might get a bit of time on the holiday if you're working where you could sneak away and be home for an hour or two where the guys are going to all cover for each other so that you can have like a little bit of a Christmas with their kid or something like, yeah. you know, but you know, I, without having like huge family of my own on the go, I would just work it, let those guys go see their families during that time. Yeah. Double time never hurts or, well, or okay. overtime or whatever Overtime or yeah. whatever you're earning. Yeah. yeah. And nice. so like some of those like. That was a shift work, and there it didn't matter whether it was a holiday or not. Right. Yeah. Same thing working in the oil sands. If you stop oil production, it take, can take weeks for them to get it started again. Mm -hmm. So they don't stop. Yeah. It doesn't. It doesn't. Like it doesn't pay to stop. Yeah. Like it costs a lot of money for them to do a shutdown. So keep just keep and keeping that object in motion, staying in motion means that people are going to have days off and the way the oil company treats it you could have your shift ending on christmas and another guy's starting on boxing day and that's your shift that's how it falls on the calendar it there is no moving it around you're not going to make one shift work you're, you're showing up if your shift is to work through the whole both days you're working both days whatever it is yeah. that's it you don't get to save that's what actually got me about the fire department was that it's not really me that they need. It's a warm body, right? Yeah. So it was, you show up on this day and if you don't show up, we'll just bring someone else in. And so to me, that was like, oh, okay, well, I'm not that special. Yeah. Maybe, maybe I need to uh, make myself special. Maybe I have to learn more and, and, and educate myself a little more. Um, there is that uh, kind of... Uh, loneliness part that we do like when we're working on a holiday or or you know even in in an office when we're working and we don't want to be bothered right we, we're secluding ourselves not only as men but business owners is that what do you think is the hardest part about owning and, and building a business I think it's making sure I see some people have a hard time with getting their day started or getting it going mm -hmm. because they like oftentimes they have their home office mm -hmm. before it turns into a functioning business where it may not even need a brick and mortar place. Mm -hmm. um, one of the last places I had an office, uh, I've had a few in the last few years, but one of them was uh, just the Staples in Kelowna. 
and they built out this state-of-the-art area in the back they would rent out offices and I took like an office had a business partner he took an office and uh, you know nice glass doors and everything but then they rented out these other spots that were just communal and this is like the way a lot of things were going pre-covid was uh was a lot of like communal sharing Mm -hmm. communal workspaces they would have these little desks and these people would be paying hundreds and hundreds of dollars per month just so they could go somewhere other than their house to sit down and get their work done yeah and like i just like to observe in general but i sometimes like man that guy's like always working i don't even know his name i don't even get like see him fill up his coffee cup or Mm -hmm. get a fresh water he's just like hammering down got his headphones on and he's just always plugging away he must be making good use of this space yeah then i see other people and it's like man that person all they do is go get coffee all day like did they really need to have this space away from their home to get focused right so i think a lot of people have a hard time whether they have that external space but even harder when that space is like right close to home how do you ensure that you're starting your day properly I'm up quite a bit earlier than I actually start my day. Okay. Um, Doing what? Well, this morning I went for an hour and a half for a walk before coming here. Nice. And we started recording this at 7.30 in the morning. Yeah. So I was up and out before 5.30 a.m. Beautiful. And it woke me up. There's crisp. It's fall time. Um, And so that's a good way to get started. Another good thing is, like, get a few things done that are non-work related. Right. Yeah. Have a nice breakfast. Eat a decent, you know. I, I love eggs. I eat a lot of them. So I'll make myself an omelet. If anyone knows me like really well personally, then I'll have made an omelet for you. You know it's delicious. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you're part of the John Simcoe uh, omelet club. Yeah, exactly. Perfect. And you'll never have the same one twice. I know who's had what omelet and I'll never make it again. Really? So I do you, not know. You're if the you, omelet king. If you enjoy a nice omelet you'll never like enjoy that bite exactly how it is because i'll go. never do it again for you really <laughs> yeah well i hope i make the omelet club one day yeah maybe maybe yeah. when i come visit you and on your home turf I'll, I'll come i'll come visit you i bring the pan and everything <laughs> <laughs> i like it would you ever move back to winnipeg i'd consider it i have my family and parents here and there is a lot of uh a lot of opportunities in winnipeg that i'm seeing there there's definitely a lot um so it's a matter of like do i need to be physically here or not to to do things right what do you what is it about winnipeg that you either love or that you really hate (laughs) i actually uh winnipeg has grown more and more fond for me the longer i've been away and i actually really really enjoy coming back to winnipeg now I consider Winnipeg to be probably one of the best cities in the prairies. Okay. It's, it's underrated. It's easy to look at a place like Calgary, which is a beautiful city as well. I mm-hmm. consider them a, a pinnacle here in Western Canada. Vancouver's kind of its own thing. Toronto's its own thing. They're both really huge metropolises and very like cutting edge state of the art cities. Yep. But then everything else here in Canada is just like a big town. Um, and I, I really like the fact that Winnipeg has a very well-developed art scene. 
Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. They have like a great art gallery. They have great live performances. They have concerts. Like world class. The world class. Yeah. Like yeah. Winnipeg is one of the top ten places to see a concert and show. Right. Um, the arena that was designed has amazing acoustics. Mm -hmm. You get a chance to take it in. Yeah. The Forks has developed hugely. Like. You know, even like just even just going to see a Gold Eyes game is a fun experience. Mm -hmm. Doesn't have to be major league to have a good time. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and so Winnipeg, in terms of like the value it offers, the variety of food and cuisine and culture, Winnipeg is a great place to visit, um, and it's actually a very affordable place to live. That's right. Yeah. So it has a lot of good things going for it. Whereas, like, because you're either like a prestige city. Where you have like your booming arts and your high level of architecture yeah. and it's a pretty city yeah. or you have your value city and that's where things are cheap home is cheap there's blue collar jobs and winnipeg's always been considered a value city but i like to see that there's sides of it on the other side on the more of the showy side where some of the architecture and some of the buildings that have been going up and the way the skyline's been changing, uh, it's really like sure. projecting itself as a little bit more of a bit of a fancier, you know, Winnipeg wants to be fancy, I think. Yeah, we're, yeah they did. I mean, the Human Rights Museum, is, that, was a, that was a monster. It seems like we have a lot of attractions here that are, you know, really nice to be, to see and to, to just partake in. Um, those those definitely help our tourism they help uh make it a pretty city they give us stuff to do how is winnipeg in the business environment do you think in comparison to other cities and places that you could say do real estate in start a business anything like that is it different than than other cities that way um i think it depends a little what your business is okay I never, uh, and, and like some people may say the homes in Winnipeg are affordable. You could open a real estate business in Winnipeg. There's these cheap homes, although they keep going up in price. They're not as cheap as they used to be. Mm -hmm. Um, as Winnipeg always seems to just appreciate a little over a little. And guess what? Time goes on. Prices are up. Yeah. Uh, and that doesn't really experience tons of like huge crashes, but I never allowed the entry barrier or price to get into like say a house to do whether it's a fix and flip or a rental or yeah. whatever pro whatever your end goal is with that property or you know uh just because it might be like cheaper to get into doesn't make it a better deal doesn't make it a better deal yep. um i would always look at what is the average price of a home in a city and it might be lower in winnipeg than it was in fort mcmurray or Kelowna or yep. vernon or uh, even like places near Hamilton. I've even done investment projects on the East Coast. I've done them like all, not every province, but most of places in Canada. I've done some sort of project or a series of them because I was there or, or somewhere I never even had to visit and could do those projects sight unseen yep. uh, where it is possible. So I would, if the average price is $500,000 in a different city, and in Winnipeg, maybe it's 200. I don't know the real numbers, but mm -hmm. let's just say that those are the differences. Yep. And you're looking to raise capital to create that business and launch that forward. It should make sense at the 500,000 level, just as much as it does at the 200,000, 
It has to make sense. It's all ratios. Yeah, the ratio has to be there. Yeah. If you're getting extra capital to put into it, there should be uh, enough to be able to pay for it to come out. Right. Have you have you done real estate deals in, in Winnipeg? Yeah. yeah. I had some buy and holds in Winnipeg while I was uh, in Alberta. Right. Uh, I got some owner financings on a couple places, uh, as well as my very first rental property was in Winnipeg. Beautiful. Yeah. That is... Uh, Winnipeg's an... It's an interesting place. We have kind of a... Our, our, you can kind of tell people from from Winnipeg, right? Like it's a it's a bit of a different mentality. One thing we didn't touch on is in one year you've done like 93 deals. Yeah. Which is it's insane. Yeah. Like like I said, that is more deals in one year than most investors will do in their life. It's from having the systems well worked out. Right. Do you think that uh um, there was 24 the year before it? And the December leading up to the 93, I did six in. Yeah. So as soon as I did six in one month in a slow month of real estate, should we just keep going? Yeah. So as soon as, as soon as I did, um, six in the month, I had a goal of doing like one each month. I wanted Mm -hmm. to do 10 for the year and it allowed two months if they were non-performing months. And so my goal was to like set up more or less 10 rent owns or you know whether there's a buy and hold and nine rent owns yeah and that was my internal goal Mm -hmm. and i had my systems kind of going and i figured out a different style of rent own i had to because the market had changed and when the market changed all those other companies that only knew one style of deal making they Mm -hmm. all like stopped they all stopped doing new projects stopped doing new they stopped doing rent-to-own deals. They yeah. maybe went and did other things. Yeah. But they're, and I can say from being uh, a director in the Canadian Association of Rent-to-Own Professionals now, at the time, it was a growing association. They're yeah. a non-profit, so it's all volunteer work. And they continue to grow without me, which is awesome to see. I love love seeing those guys uh, do what they do and try and make rent-to-own a more ethical place. Mm-hmm. And when the market changed, now, just the numbers of membership within uh, had a lot of people in Alberta when the market changed just stopped doing rent owns, Saskatchewan as well. Hmm. Then they stopped being members of the association and said, well, we're not doing new deals. We don't need to be, we don't need to pay these fees. Right. And, you know, they're right. If they're not getting anything out of it, then why would you pay? Yep. So there was a huge drop off. And at the same time, I was figuring out a different way to get things done. You're coming from a different angle. Well, yeah, like you have, you know, like going back to my dad, find another way to do it. Find another. Yeah. I was I was so scared when my I was a little one trick pony rent own guy too, and I was so scared. I actually applied for my old job at the time. Really. And then I figured things out, and then took them forever to get back to me and by the time they did i had things going i know i I don't need this yeah yeah. but i i at one point was like very scared i wasn't out of money i wasn't out of resources but suddenly like what i knew how to do everything changed and by figuring out how to change the tide it turned out to be make me one of the more successful people in it having done like 93 of them and that was the same year that the fort mcmurray fire came through Mm. So I did get a bit delayed, did some projects in Ontario and other things during while evacuated. So it's not like business totally stopped. Mm-hmm. Business goes where I go. Yeah. 
And so it was a big difference to go from the previous year of having a goal of 10 deals and accomplishing 24 deals. So two a month Mm -hmm. instead of one a month. We're not like, we're not doing anything earth shattering here. Um, But the reality is, is that I had done 18 of them in 11 months. And the final month, the month of December, I went and did six. And it was a slow month real estate wise. And all of a sudden those six deals that I did was like 20 or 25% of all the transactions. And now it's the month of December. It's a historically low, but all of a sudden this like guy can show up buy a few properties and suddenly the price of real estate is trending lower because I got some good deals on a few places. So good. Um, And so by the time those six deals came through in one month, that was a game changer because I had this like, I knew possibilities for the next year's goals were possible. And uh, a friend gave me that Grant Cardone 10X, uh, like actual audio CDs. And I used to spend a lot of time uh, driving to events and to seminars in other cities. So a lot of my time learning was on the road. Yeah. And I, I was listening to this Grant Cardone 10X and all of a sudden I had it in my head. I'm going to go from doing a goal of 10, although I did 24, but my new goal is going to be a hundred. Crazy. And I, and I just like threw that out there. Yeah. And a lot of my systems were figured out. My new style was figured out. My contracts were figured out, tweaked a bit later to improve things. But overall, I had this new system that I could use and apply to the outside world. And people were jumping on it left, right, and center. We were solving a lot of landlords when the market changed. Their house, they owed like 20 grand more than their house is worth. And they'd have to pay a realtor yeah. to sell their place. And suddenly, we could show them that in maybe two and a half or three years time that their house might be paid down by 30, 40 or 50 grand and that they can walk away with 10 grand in their pocket instead of having to take a loan out and owe like 40 grand to sell their house. Yeah. And so we're suddenly solving a problem like that. And it doesn't matter whether times are booming or not so booming. There is always rent to own buyers. They are always, there's always somebody who wants a way to get into a house? Yeah. Uh, most of it, most of it, uh, that make good good applicants are family members. Anyone can be a good good applicant, but when they have that real reason to succeed, uh, and and that's in the right place, and they've had all their background checks done, there's like methods to doing it, do's and don'ts. Mm-hmm. But when you found the right person and you have the right house and you put them together, then you have yourself a nice rent own deal. And we would call that the sandwich deal when you put the two together. Right. So all of a sudden I got this reputation where people were coming to me and offering their houses. You're the guy who can solve this problem. And I would have buyers coming up to me all the time too. I, if I walked around in the mall, people would come to me, buy my house, buy my house. Well, I'm probably not going to buy it, but I'll tell you what else we can do with it. Yeah. Tell me more about why you want to sell. And, and so really by providing value to those sellers, they were agreeable to wanting to do it and by providing value to the buyers. And then on top of it, most of the time when a rental owned company exists, it's usually a mom and pop by that. I mean a very small business with a small amount of working capital and they might have the capacity to buy two or three or four properties. And they'll run their rent own program doing 
I would recommend two to three year long deals. Uh, if they take a bit longer in, in real life, they do. But you know, if the person doesn't look like they can check out after three years, you should go find another person. Mm-hmm. That's just statistically looking at all the rent owns in Canada, not even just my own. After three years, there's a much bigger drop off rate in success. Right. So if you can do it in two or three, great. Uh, That's kind of the cutoff. Yeah, and and a lot can change in a market in say five years. I know people that were setting up five year long rent home deals that that really had no business putting those people in the in the property right. or setting yeah. them up that yeah. way. Crazy. Um, so we have this ability to now be the Uber of real estate, and we can control these. I didn't need to like buy with a bunch of investors or expensive. Uh, money these properties because they were being given to me mm-hmm. well not quite given like we gave people some money we call it move out money and there's a way to making it all work yep. but largely we weren't using a hundred thousand dollars to put down on a five hundred thousand dollar property you were solving a problem we were solving a problem right. and i no longer needed to get new financing to put these real estate deals through right and as long as we did a good job with our screening of our tenant buyer, things worked out pretty good. And by having, by going bigger than a mom and pop place, by having more than just one property to offer someone or two properties, mm-hmm. I would have eight, six, eight. If I had about 14, then it was time to focus on, on the buyer side. Mm-hmm. We needed, and so I would have, uh, and I learned this, from being a car salesman and I literally copied the same system as them. So I had all these magnetic, I had a big giant whiteboard in my office and it was the deal board and I had all these magnets that were like rectangles and all the information to the house was there. Three, two, three bedroom, two bath, Mm -hmm. you know, five, three, five bedroom, three bath. Reminds me of a game. The address, the (laughs) very much so. All the pertinent information, just like on a cash flow card, yeah. the monthly rent, the this, the that, just the important information. Mm-hmm. And so I would put it on the board on one side and then I would have my other magnets on the other side of the board with my buyers that I'd been screened. Mm-hmm. And I would give them all ratings like A plus, A, A minus, um, some B pluses. Can we like, can we turn them into an A? Can we make this B plus? Can we get them looking a little nicer financially? Can they put a bit more down? That's usually could be the difference. Yeah. Uh, And then the other one's being very polite to them and educating those buyers and treating everyone like a real person. They just want a house. Yeah. A lot of rent to own companies. Is it usually credit? uh, That's the issue or what what is it usually? uh, A whole, the main, the main reason we would hope focus on hope helping a lot of people were, a lot of new immigrants who needed to establish credit in Canada. Okay. They have money to put down. Yeah. They're not planning to move and they probably... Not bad credit, just no credit. Just no credit. Yeah. They, they, can, they might. We can pull credit in the country they're coming from and see what is this person's habits. Oh, interesting. Because yeah. habits don't change. I bet you there's not many people that do that. No, I don't pull, know. Pulling too. credit from other countries. If the person's like really serious and they got some money to put down, let's yeah. check them out. Yeah, that makes Especially sense. Especially if that's their reason. Or right. are they a train wreck in the other country? They might have some money to put down, but... It doesn't make sense. Yeah. Maybe it's from a line of credit. It's not even their money. And it's like... Yeah, yeah. 
So you have to like take that extra, what's their real reason and is it justified? We would have divorcing people that we helped out as well. Mm -hmm. So oftentimes you'd have a wife or a husband who has separated, they're out of the house, they might have some kids and they want to have a house. They're planning to make, they don't want to move their kids around a whole bunch. They want their kids to go to a certain school that's in a certain neighborhood and that's what's important to them. They're not planning to move, but the divorce isn't finalized. Mm. And it doesn't make sense for them to go buy new property until the divorce is totally done. Yeah, which so could take years. It, sometimes it can. Yeah. Oh, I can remember extending some deals because the divorce wasn't quite worked out yet. Yeah. They had all the money put up. Just we couldn't put the property into their name just yet. That's right. Uh, it, until the divorce was, how's that going? Especially... Yeah, I've had people leave in a rent-owned house. I've had one leave the household. We've requalified the wife who made more money than the husband. She could still afford to stay in the rent-owned that by herself, yeah. barely, but yeah. but we could work with her. Yeah. It was possible, and then turn around and put the husband in another rent-owned, like a slightly smaller house that he could afford. Interesting. And yeah, they both, and I'm like, I know, like divorce details about you and I know divorce details about you and I'm in this like middle neutral position I can't be like gossiping about one one to the other and I just like we're gonna get you the house we're gonna get you the house and are you guys almost done you're back and forth no you're not oh man (laughs) keep keep the deals going so would you say that it's your ability to be resourceful and and change strategies or for your growth, or would it be your systems that, that was the biggest push for your growth? While having a business model that would work was and, and ditching the old one quickly okay. uh, was important and being able to close most of those deals. I got stuck with one, one house throughout all of that, which is actually, I'm grateful it was only one house because hmm. you know, the market value started to fall we had to pay, we were borrowing money to buy houses and the market started to fall. Well, you get the picture, you can't keep, you can't pay out big money when the value's not there. Also, the person who's supposed to buy the house has a preset buyout price. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. if the value isn't there, the bank isn't gonna like giving them financing. So as much as we wanna like get the top price possible, you have to be like realistic about what the price is actually going to be in the And future. is that knowing the market? Is that it's knowing the market, the market, researching yep. the market, finger on the pulse. I can remember the exact moment the market changed. Really? Yeah. I've felt it a few times while I lived in Fort Mac. Yeah. Um, most people like Dan, how long have you been doing real estate here in Winnipeg? Uh, 15 years. It's about 15 years. Yeah. Has Winnipeg really had any major corrections in the last 15 years? You know, even when the world fell apart in 2008, you know, we're kind of so diverse that we felt a little something, but we still kind of, like we're in our little hole and we looked out and the world's falling apart and, you know, we haven't had major corrections. We're not a boom and bust economy, right? Mm-hmm. So it, it hasn't that's one of the nice things about Winnipeg is you don't have to try to time the market. And if there's like a, a major change, 
it can take a while for you guys to actually feel it as well we've got a good leg behind the rest of the world almost it Mm -hmm. seems and being in an oil town where I did a lot of it uh, that desperately wanted to diversify and have more than only oil be a reason to go go to Fort McMurray yeah um, they were keen uh, to have any type of business growth outside of the oil sector right but for every two people who worked in town one person worked in the oil sands that okay. was the the yeah. stat and ratio and most of the people that I helped get homes were like those union working oil field workers because they had steady work. Right. And even in the downturn, often still continued to work. They didn't just all get laid off all the time. Yeah. Um, and so by having like knowing who you're doing this for and making sure that you're serving the right demographic helps. Yeah. So you have to and you can feel when there's fewer factors the change between boom and bust is very dramatic. What would you tell somebody who's fresh or yourself as a 18 <coughs> year old, you're getting into that after everything you know now, what's some of the, the best piece of advice that you would give them starting out? I would say if you're going to have a partner, sometimes joint venturing can be a good way to get ahead quickly. Make sure that you guys have skill sets that are, complimentary and that are, you're not duplicating yourself you're not scared so you're taking on a friend to share the risk mm-hmm. because sharing half the reward is not as much fun either you'll realize that 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 expensive partner could have been replaced by a lender with an interest rate and you can still pay them generously will cost you less than having a partner who takes maybe half of something early on right um i would also encourage anyone who's starting out to uh, it might they might be very hungry I see a lot of people I've met with a few people uh, recently who've asked for a little bit of advice and I see some young people who want to make a track record for themselves and that's good because the more your track record is the more people you'll attract to you and the more and the bigger it comes yeah. the more success you have the yeah. more the more people will take notice and want to be a part of that with you yeah. uh, don't get too caught up with paying very expensive loans. Mm-hmm. I've seen a lot of people starting out where they've done a project, paid a lender 15 or 20% because they really wanted to get them into the deal or mm-hmm. more. Uh, and at the end of the day, the person putting the deal together is sweating bullets. They maybe made $3,000 when it was all done. They were moving hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars, maybe, uh, maybe of labor and building materials property you know there's a lot there's all and there can be a lot of stress and risk to only walk away with like three thousand dollars meanwhile the investors got a check for like 60 grand profit right like you know don't give it all away and don't work it's good to i always wanted to be fair and treat my lenders uh well and pay them as I always would try and pay them as much as possible, which is a very different approach than I think most people would say, what have you earned before? What have you lent out at before? Oh, I can show you how to do a little better. And then they they get their clients that way. Mm -hmm. And my approach was always like, I've done my due diligence. This is how much this can pay comfortably. Mm -hmm. Do you want it? Do you want it? Yeah. Or if you don't, I'll go put something together that has other safe criteria that will pay a little better. And I've turned around and asked people, I know you're used to getting a certain rate, this project, the numbers make more sense at 1% less. 
well, you take 1% less this time around mm -hmm. versus, uh, and I'll make sure I give you something that might pay you two out two additional points on the next, the next go around. I'll make sure. But right now, the way this project's ending and the next one starts, yeah. it's probably in their best interest to keep the velocity of money, which means them keep their money moving and working yeah. and take 1% less to keep it working in something that's safe. Than, uh, than to wait around for something that pays the 1% higher. Yeah, yeah. Especially if the project's gonna be short, like one year or less timeline. Yeah. Uh, then it also gives me time to go find something that I can reward them for taking a little bit less a bit later. Is there anything that I should have asked you? <laughs> What's something that people don't ask you? But they should be. What kind of omelet does John Simcoe make for himself? Yes. <laughs> yes. I always make omelets for everyone else. What's, uh, what's the answer to that question? I normally uh, have omelets when other people are having omelets. I spend very little time actually making them for myself. Alone. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I will make the same one twice for myself, but I'm <laughs> the only person. That's and, fair. Uh, and typically if I can have some, just like some green onions, some ham, and, and a nice a nice quality of cheese okay uh that's enough i like you know, it just a nice it's it's a take it to a very classic omelet but it just has all the right flavor profiles and some nice ham if you're putting it in there too right it's phenomenal it's just, so funny. just simple <laughs> some mushrooms some mushrooms yeah mushroom ham cheese onion well i want to uh i, I first want to thank you for your time i know you're a busy guy um, but I also wanted to honor you as far as, you know, I've, you've always been someone that, that I've, that I've seen, that I've been reading, uh, that I've followed. Um, but you know, your stuff has also inspired a lot of my stuff too. Um, but you know, your ability to, uh, not only pivot and grow, but I absolutely love your view on systems. And I think that that is just it's incredible what you've done. I think it's incredible what you bring to the industry. You're bringing a lot of uh, ethics and morals that we need in, in real estate. Yeah. And uh, I think that's why you've been so successful. So uh, thanks so much for being here and I, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Dan. See you next time. You bet. Yeah.